the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track. Get yourself 40% off that first year subscription. Download the app, tell them who you like, and you'll get ad-free exclusive content at your fingertips. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. My name is Mike Gennetti. A little bit of baseball off the top here. Not so much reactions to yesterday, even though yesterday was fun, but health of the eight teams left, future health of the eight teams left in Major League Baseball. And then Keith Smith joins Scott Allen for a big-time NBA premiere preview primer. All the questions, the Victor Wembignana discussion, which is, I think, bigger than maybe any discussion we've had in the 15 years we've been doing this because that's, that predates LeBron. You know, obviously the Zion conversation was huge and plenty of teams went down for him. There's two, maybe three top flight prospects in this 2023 NBA draft. And uh, I'm thrilled and, uh, to hear what Keith has to say about how many, specifically which teams are already set up to tank, which teams may decide midseason it's time to tank. And then, of course, all the other question marks. Are the contenders for real? What kind of offseason moods? We're intriguing to Keith uh, from a construction standpoint, from a cap standpoint. Who's setting themselves up nicely for next year? What kind of midseason extensions or rookie extensions should we see over the next couple of days or months? All the questions that he's been stewing on for the last few months, right? Since July 1st and this league year started. That's the back end of this show. Good to have him back on the podcast. But first, as I mentioned, let's talk about the eight teams left in Major League Baseball. Um, I'm not going in any particular order. I pulled up the multi-year views on Track for all eight of these teams. And what I did is I, I adjusted for war. So I'm looking at 2022 from each team's most valuable players via war all the way down and assessing contract status. In other words, how many of these players that were worth a damn to these teams have question marks immediately starting this winter? And I think that's at least barometer one. As I mentioned in the last show with the Mets, they've got tons, <laughs> you know, three or four of their top five war players, not just this year, but over the past couple of years could be on new teams in the next few months. It's that easy. So terrible health financially for the Mets. What about the eight remaining teams? If I start with Houston, maybe the most exciting team from yesterday, model of consistency, Question marks on Justin Verlander, who's the second highest war. Just a phenomenal season when he came back. I know he got lit up yesterday. I don't think that's going to factor. He's got a $25 million player option. I, I think either way, he's long for this team. Whether he opts into it, which I think I might recommend at this point. That's a pretty good coin and doesn't really break the Houston bank here. I don't think he's leaving this team. So let's assume he's in, in some capacity. You know, Jordan Alvarez is extended out for three, four more years. Kyle Tucker's just starting arbitration. He's probably an extension candidate this offseason, and Altuve has two more left. That's it. That's your top four right there. I have to get down to Christian Vasquez, a catcher they acquired at the deadline, before I find a high-war player that's going to be a UFA this year. Michael Brantley was a starting left fielder. He, he battled injuries most of the season. I think they were probably going to move on from him as it was anyway. That's your other notable free agent here in terms of high war, high value. Yeah, there's some bullpen guys. Rafael Montero, who had a great, a great game yesterday. 
he's going to have to get replaced, and, and the catching position is going to have to get addressed. This is a healthy team. So if you're an anti-Astros fan out there, just understand that this team is probably going nowhere, at least in 2023. We'll reevaluate this conversation in 2024. But strong health, financially speaking, going forward for the Astros right now. The Dodgers, game one win against the Padres, arguably the best team in baseball the whole year. Best odds to win the World Series still as we speak right now. There's some questions. There's certainly some questions. Now, they're deep. You know, they can fill a lot of these gaps internally with players we probably haven't even heard of yet. But question number one, of course, is Trey Turner, their shortstop, who's the third highest war on this team. One of the preeminent shortstops in all of baseball. They let the last one walk in Corey Seager. What do they do with Trey Turner this year? That is no, no doubt one of the biggest questions in baseball heading into December. Tyler Anderson, a pitcher who came out of nowhere, not for them, but for, you know, just for his own standards. He's set for free agency. And then Clayton Kershaw, at age 34, still put up a really strong season before he battled injuries in and out. Does he want to do this again? If they win this year, does he walk off into the sunset as a Dodger for life and, and just uh, start his Hall of Fame clock? That's your top three. You know, you get down a little lower. David Price is gone like he was never existed anyway. Andrew Heaney had a nice year, but he kind of came back down to earth quite a bit the second half. I imagine they look to replace him probably internally. And then there's some bullpen arms. Kimbrell's not even playing for this team right now. Uh, Tommy Canley's probably get, gets moved on from at this point. They're healthy. And, you know, they're going to have to probably bring in a starting pitcher, either A, to replace Kershaw, or B, Walker Buehler's going to miss some significant time next year. And then Tyler Anderson's at UFA as well. So they're, they're probably at least one starting pitcher down right now, heading into 2023. But they're the Dodgers. You overpay for a, a veteran, or you bring somebody up from AAA and say, it's your time to shine, which they've done successfully now three or four times in, in the past couple of years. But Trey Turner's the big question, and he will remain that question. Can they win with a lesser player at shortstop? What if they have to move Chris Taylor there full-time in 2023 because Trey Turner's gone? I think so. I think they're deep enough. I think there's enough power in this lineup. And certainly they wouldn't just punt on this, right? They would go find a, a, a less expensive version of this. But I think there's at least internal discussions about can we move on without doing $300 million for Trey Turner? It's probably possible. They're that good. Now, are they going to be, you know, 110 wins without him? Probably not. He was significant, almost a 5 war this year. Certainly played good defense. but. There's going to be a discussion about do we need need this guy, especially if they get to the finish line this year. Healthy, though. Yankees, not super healthy. Now, not terrible. None of these teams are in awful shape like the Mets are. Uh, but, but, you know, when you got a guy with a 10.5 war sitting at the top of this list who's a UFA, obviously that's Aaron Judge, that's going to be question one, two, and three here. Aaron Judge isn't going to repeat this year. Uh, you know, so if you're thinking this is a 10 and a half, no, it's not. You know, he's a, he's, this was the perfect season. So we've talked about it at length, at nauseum. I do think he stays. So let's just move past it because that's my internal assessment is that he stays. But it, they're the only team in base of these eight that has their highest war player set for free agency. 
Let's put it that way. Trey Turner at three is next on that list. If I go down Benintendi, that obviously didn't work out. He's set for UF, you know, unrestricted free agency. It's possible, though, that he gets a contract to come back. I think there's a lot of reasons that both these sides can work out. Matt Carpenter just had a ridiculous summer. Came out of nowhere. They did activate him yesterday, so there's, I guess there's a chance, outside chance. He gets added to one of these rosters at some point if they stick in. Maybe he's a cheap bring back as well for third base. And then there's some pitchers, you know, Jameson Tyon down the list. Pretty healthy, though. A couple of the Arab guys are going to get expensive in Kiner Falifa and Glaber Torres, but they're the Yankees. This is about getting Judge locked in. And then I think depending on how the next couple of weeks go, or maybe this week specifically, who else in terms of end of arbitration or UFA is worth coming back for? We'll see. Pretty healthy. Fairly healthy, but the judge at the top thing is one of the more daunting situations in all of baseball. The Phillies. Really crazily, annoyingly, financially healthy <laughs> as, a guy, as a guy rooting for the Mets. Uh, Reese Hopkins is going to enter the final year of his arbitration. He had a really nice bounce back year. Not so much the power that, we, that he was originally when he came up as a prospect, but he's really starting to flatline it out a little bit in terms of batting for average a little bit more, spraying the ball around, and playing halfway decent defense as well. Ranger Suarez, the game one starter, enters arbitration. He was the fifth highest war on this team this year. And you have to get down to David Robertson, the closer who is not on this NLDS roster because of a freak celebration injury, before you have to get to a UFA that's in the top 10 of their war that they have to consider themselves with next year. I think he gets another contract. I know he's 37. It just worked. So I think David Robertson comes back to this team in some capacity. Um, you know, if you're looking down to the 15s and 20s in terms of war, Noah Syndergaard, probably not. Brad Hand, probably not. You know, they're going to upgrade some of these spots here via free agency or via the trade this offseason. But again, just a, a, another good contending team that they have a real chance to leapfrog the Mets here in this division because of the Mets' lack of health financially and, and lack of contract status situation that they possess. They, they have just a better three, four-year layout here. The San Diego Padres. It wasn't a great year. It just wasn't. You know, they're here because they're getting some quality, timely at-bats right now. And excellent pitching, obviously, from guys like Musgrove. They're in pretty good shape. You know, Josh Bell was a deadline acquisition with Soto. I don't know on that one. I feel like they'll be compelled to bring him back because Will Myers will walk. But I don't think it's a slam dunk, especially if they let him go and test the market and somebody overpays for him. You know, they're going to have to be mindful of their tax situation next season. Jerks and Profire is going to opt out. That's a left fielder that they are going to need to replace. So there's two formidable starting players right there within the top five, top seven of their best value season here. I wouldn't call them extremely healthy. You know, Clevenger's a UFA. He got lit up last night. A couple of relievers are UFAs. Sean Manea just had a nightmare season. Their worst war on the roster right now. On the 28-man 20 man roster, Sean Manea. That obviously didn't work out being brought over from Oakland. So it, it, to me, it was just a disappointing season. Even if they continue to move on here, 
a lot of the decisions that were made, maybe it's just the fact that they threw a lot of baloney at the wall and you knew half of it wasn't going to stick. And if that's their approach, then I guess if you're trying to keep up with the big boys, the Dodgers and such, you're going to have to do that kind of thing. So a lot went wrong and yet here they are in the NLDS. So I guess I should, I should pump the brakes on this. I guess I wouldn't put a lot of stock in this team next year until Tatis is back, until you start to see this thing come together and gel a little bit more. But absolutely, they have the pieces. They have the horses in the barn. Can they make this thing work for a full 162 and actually compete with the Dodgers? We'll see. The Seattle Mariners, as you might imagine, (laughs) are the second financially healthiest team of the eight remaining. I have to go down to Kurt Casale, the backup catcher, before I can find a positive war player who's set to be a UFA next year. That's it. This team is locked and loaded, young, inexpensive, ready to roll. Castillo got his extension. J.P. Crawford's been extended. Julio Rodriguez got his extension. You know, Eugenio Suarez has been extended. He's got a couple years left on that. He's, got brought, he's the second highest war on this team. You know, a player that kind of got forgotten for a few years there as the Mariners really kind of treaded broader. They're locked and loaded. It's not an accident that they're here. And I think if they can push a couple of buttons right this offseason to really set themselves forward, this is, a, this is going to be a really fun team for a bunch of years. So it's not just this year. It's not just next year. It's not just 2024. We got to start getting to 2025 before this current roster starts to, start to have a ton of question marks and some of these starting players fall off contractually speaking. So again, this is the time for them to go, whether it's another big trade, whether it's you know, push some prospects out and get some real-time experience in here to round out the rotation, to bring in another bullpen presence. They're ready. They are healthy as all, and they are ready. The Braves. I would put the Braves right with the Mariners, neck and neck, at least for the next two seasons, 2023-2024, except for Danzy Sponson, who is the elephant in the room on this roster right now. There's a couple others, but he, you know, he had back-to-back here seasons where he belongs in the conversation for big-time money. Now he gets a chance to do it. And whether or not that's going to be the Braves remains to be seen. I tend to think no. The the more of these pre-Arab extensions we see out of this team, the more free agent extensions I believe we won't see from the Atlanta Braves. So if that's a subtraction, you know, what are you doing to, similar to the the Dodgers, what are you doing to replace that, that power, that production, and that defensive prowess in Trey Turner and Dansby Swanson, respectively. Big-time question marks, but both the Dodgers and Braves here are aligned and set up really nicely for the next two seasons here. And let's get to our healthiest team. Our cheapest team, our most inexpensive team, maybe your least favorite team of the eight, but the Cleveland Guardians are just bonkersville sustainable. Bonkers. I mean, Jose Ramirez's extension at the, at the, pre, uh, the preview of this season set this whole thing up, and it'll do the same thing next year. I have to get down to the 25th player on this 28th man roster before I get to a UFA. And it's Austin Hedges, who is the starting catcher, but there's another catcher on the roster, and there's two prospects ready to come up. Some of them sitting on the bench right now waiting for their turn. So the one UFA on this roster is completely replaceable, already has been replaced, Cleveland simply just has to ask themselves, are we going to go for this? Are we going to compete with Chicago? Are we going to compete with our division and try to do this thing two, three more seasons? Can we, can we find some money in the banana stand 
bring in a top flight, you know, seventh or eighth man guy, bring in maybe a first base upgrade, et cetera, et cetera. But they're healthy as all. Their closer's locked in at a real nice price for the next five, six years. Their center fielder's locked in at a real nice price in Miles Straw. And I mentioned the Ramirez extension. That's it for money on the books right now. Everybody else on this 40-man roster is a team-controlled pre-arbitration salary or some form of arbitration. And only Ahmed Rosario should have, you know, a significant arbitration salary next year. It's going to be a cheap team. It's going to be a good team. And now they're going to have experience and playoff pedigree with, uh, you know, behind them. So look out. Look out not only for what this current team can be, but will they go and make a push for one or two players to take that step that they did in 2016, which vaulted them to the World Series? I think it's really possible. But they're easily the healthiest financial team of these eight. Can they now you know, become a $100 million payroll versus the 81, 82 million they are now in 2023 that takes them to a situation where they're not just an inexpensive team doing great things. They're a below average payroll team that can actually stand up to the big boys, the Houstons, the Yankees, et cetera, Seattle. Let's talk some NBA basketball with our expert, Keith Smith. All right. Good to have Keith Smith back again, talking NBA with us. Uh, Keith, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. All right. We're going to run the gambit here. Every team, uh, 30 questions, 30 teams, and a little bit of extra in there as we lead up to the NBA season next week. Yeah, no, this is going to be great. I'm really excited to get into it. Yeah, me too. It's It's been a long time coming with all the offseason moves, and that's where we're going to start here. What do you think the potential best offseason contract was? Yeah, so when you ask this question, uh, sent it to me, of course, because I'm me, I made a list of about 25, um, <laughs> but then I'll whittle it down. I, I think the one that is ultimately going to look the best is probably James Harden's contract, simply because him taking that much less money allowed Philly to really build out their roster. And that's, that's when you look at it it's for Harden, is it a great contract? No, not really. Um, but he's going to opt out next year, presumably to sign some form of long-term deal, likely a max deal for some amount of years. But taking you know so much less money than he could have had, $13 million-ish in that range, that allowed them to get P.J. Tucker, get DeAnthony Melton, uh, get D- Daniel House, get Montrezl Harrell. All those things are so huge uh, for him uh, and the 76ers that that's just, you know, incredible, um, you know, sacrifice on his part. We say all the time, we want these superstars, you know, do whatever it takes to win. Well, James Harden did it this summer. Yeah, I agree. Depth is super important in the NBA and the fact that you can have that and bring in those kind of pieces really could help in the long run. Uh, so so what is the worst offseason contract in your opinion? Yeah, I didn't have quite as long a list um, this time around. I think uh, teams have done better. And this one really came down to a tie for me. Uh, One is just it's more the fact that it was baffling. And then another one that I think just is going to end up bad. The baffling one is Marvin Bagley III with the Detroit Pistons. I'm just not sure who they were bidding against when they signed uh, Bagley to to the deal they, they gave him. It doesn't make a ton of sense why they you know felt they need to give him 37 and a half million dollars um fully guaranteed over three seasons and it's not that Bagley's a bad player um and he actually showed some really good stuff with Detroit that just seems like an overpay and it's confusing now 
Oddly enough, he is the second highest paid player on the roster after they traded for Boyan Bogdanovich. Um, and it's not a bad contract. It's not going to sink them going forward. It was just weird. The one that I think will turn pretty sour pretty quickly is Bradley Beal um, and the Washington Wizards. Uh, hey, hey, that, you know, being, you know, as much as it, they gave him um, over the life of that contract, $251 million, a player option on year five. Uh, this is a guy who's going to be 29 uh, or, or is 29 this year. Um, he'll turn 30 right at the tail end of the league year uh, next summer. And then there's also a no trade clause in there. Um, he kind of got all the bells and whistles that, that he could get. And that just screams, I don't know that that's going to work out great for Washington. Yeah, that's an interesting team, the the direction that they're going. And we'll, we'll get there soon. Uh, we saw... Some big names get moved in trades this offseason. Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Jeremy Grant, Malcolm Brogdon. What was potentially the best offseason trade that we saw out of those or something else? Yeah, I think there's there's kind of a for for me there's almost a three way tie in this one. I think Gobert to Minnesota it's big for the Wolves because that allows them to stay a solid uh, playoff team that they they've had uh, you know one playoff appearance before last year and then went right back to being bad they want to make last year's turn into several years uh running of playoff appearances and then the jazz obviously did great on their side of that trade to land you know basically minnesota's entire draft future uh moving out donovan mitchell to cleveland uh another great trade for the Cavs to kind of take that next step in the east uh the jazz didn't do quite as great as they did in the gobert trade but they did pretty good um anyway and that's also you know good move for both sides and then i think the malcolm brogdon to boston one is almost kind of flying under the radar now because there were so many other big moves that happened but that is a really uh, major uh, uh piece for the celtics that they were only really one or two players away uh, last year from winning the nba finals and brogdon is exactly what they need just a steady guy who's going to settle them get them into stuff he can shoot he can score he can pass he can do a lot of things he already looks in just a couple of preseason games like he's been playing with this group for years and years yeah it's fascinating trades it really shifts the landscape of some of these teams whether east or west and how other teams are going to operate we'll see if they work um let's dive into these teams uh, i've got a question per team uh some fascinating teams some maybe not so um let, let's start with the atlanta hawks you know, they sort of underperformed last year. They made the Zante Murray trade. Uh, will the Atlanta Hawks extend DeAndre Hunter? and uh, Or is this going to end up playing out like a DeAndre Ayton situation in Phoenix last year? Yeah, it's so we're coming up on the deadline. The, the 17th is the last day to extend these players uh, that are on their rookie scale deals. Otherwise, it will will go into the summer. Um I don't know that there's going to be an extension, uh, but I but I don't think there'll be as much you know acrimony and bad feelings as there was with Aiden. So I don't think it'll play out similarly to that at all. I think Hunter hopefully understands, and and hopefully the Hawks do too. He needs to prove he can get through a season healthy and contribute to a winning team because I think his single biggest problem is 
when he misses a lot of time, it seems like the Hawks don't really miss a beat and they're kind of okay. Um, and then when he is out there, it seems like they struggle a little bit. And I, I'm not going to put all that on DeAndre Hunter by any means. I think that's just more the nature of the Hawks as an inconsistent team. But I do think uh, he he needs to prove he can be out there and they need to have a good season. So I don't know that we're going to see an extension unless it's a really team-friendly one because I think Hunter is 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 perfectly willing to bet on himself and have a prove-it season. Okay, Boston Celtics. Should the Celtics be in for a big man at the trade deadline? Or no, they signed Blake Griffin. Uh, but with Robert Williams' the situation with health and coming back and timeframes being up in the air, should they be in, in for a big man? I'm going to ride the fence on this one and say TBD. <laughs> I, I I think they'll get by with what they've got. I think with uh, Blake Griffin is you know a pretty good fit for what they want to do because he can pass. Um, he needs to make shots. Uh, that's going to be the big thing uh, for him. They're hopeful to have Robert Williams back. Let's call it around the holidays um, is when you know they're hoping to get him back in the fold. They really like Luke Cornett. They that maybe is a little bit misplaced. Um, but they're also going to play smaller. Uh, this year than, than they had. I think getting Brogdon is something where they're, they're going to go to some uh, different lineups with only one big on the floor versus two. So I, I think that'll be TBD. The other thing for the Celtics is um, anything for them right now, they're already you know, well, well into the tax is just going to add to a tax bill that's already climbing, I think, higher than anybody's comfortable with. I don't know that we're going to see them trying to dodge the tax uh lower the tax bill all that much but i do think they're going to look at it and say yeah you know what is the cost and you know is this a guy who's a get by guy for a couple months or is this somebody who can be part of our playoff rotation as we try to make another run to the finals should this team be viewed as good as last year yeah they're they're every bit as good as last year, I know they went through the drama with Ime Udoka and then Joe Missoula replacing him. Um, we'll see Robert Williams is out, but they're, they're everybody's good. I think Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, they've made that, that leap. Tatum's an absolute super duper star. Brown is one notch below, but I think he seems dialed in, locked in to have a big year. He's also got contract motivation. If he can play very well, he'll become super max eligible. Um, if he can make all NBA or, it's going too far to say win MVP or defensive player of the year, but if he does those things, he would be uh super max eligible. So that that's absolutely huge uh for the Celtics to have those two guys. Uh, and then adding Brogdon is just you know such a perfect addition. Um, they've got all the pieces coming back. They, they didn't lose a single rotation player other than Williams for this little bit of time. And they don't seem to really I don't, it's going too far to say they don't care about not having Ime Udoka, but I don't think it's going to impact them. I think they've already kind of moved on and they're moving forward. Brooklyn Nets, two quick questions here. One, Kyrie Irving, will they extend him? And B, is Ben Simmons' contract with $113 million left uh, in term scary money in the NBA now? Yeah, the, I'll answer the Simmons one first. I, I think it's it's right on that borderline. But if he can play this year and stay on the floor, um, I don't think it's too worrisome. Uh, this is going to be the best chance he has to show what he can do um, around those guys with Durant and Kyrie Irving and shooters and Joe Harris and Seth Curry. Um, this is going to be huge for him. But when he plays... Ben Simmons is still the most versatile defender in the league. Last time we saw him that full season, he defended all five positions, almost equal amount of times, but more importantly, almost equally as well. 
Um, he's just you know one of the best defenders in the entire league, and he's still a top tier playmaker. But if he misses time or he just is a complete non-factor on the offensive end and those kind of things, then yeah, that turns into you know pretty worrisome because if you're the Nets, that just becomes an albatross, an albatross rather, sitting on your books uh, moving forward. Now for Kyrie Irving, I think the extension question is interesting. But I don't think he's going to extend. I think he is ready to test free agency this summer. And I think the Nets are kind of ready to let him. And now if everything goes great and he's he's there all year, he plays well, he's healthy, they're winning, they're they're playing great, then maybe we do see them uh, you know, try to get something done and run it back with him and Kevin Durant. But if things don't go quite as well, I think we could see the Nets reset in a major way. And then obviously Kyrie would not be a part of that future. Charlotte Hornets. Which one of these players, if any, if all of them, are going to be there at the trade deadline? You got Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, Kelly Oubre, Mason Plumley, PJ Washington. I mean, it's a gambit here. Um, are any of them on this team come trade deadline? Yeah, I think there's a chance we still see you know a handful of those guys. Hayward mostly because of his contract. Uh, Terry Rozier. There's no real contenders looking for point guards right now. Um, I know he can play off the ball too and does play off the ball quite a bit, but that's a little bit of challenge. And then PJ Washington, he's one of their only kind of younger players um, outside of LaMelo ball that still, you know, could have a breakout potential with the miles bridges situation going on. So I, I, I don't know that any of those three necessarily go anywhere. Uh, Ubre and Plumlee different stories because they're both expiring contracts. Now I think with LaMelo ball being out, to open the season and it sounds like they're basically sending signs without uh overtly saying it of hey we're going to take our time and if we kind of fall apart and fall into the uh tank race then so be it it is what it is i would be looking to re-engage the lakers if i was the hornets right now and say hey what is it you know can we get both first round picks for westbrook if you'll take on hayward and Ubre? or Hayward and Rozier, or Hayward and Plumley, something like that. Clear out that money, gain a couple more draft picks down the line, and really kind of say, all right, we're full-on tanking this year. We're going to drop all the way in there trying to get that that superstar to add alongside LaMelo. That might be the better long-term strategy, but we'll see. Chicago Bulls. Should the Bulls extend Vucevic, or have they seen enough already? Yeah, I would only extend him if it's a very team-friendly extension, something probably slightly more than what uh, Steven Adams just got from the Memphis Grizzlies. Adams got $12.6 million a year over two seasons in an extension. If I was the Bulls, I would probably tell Vooch, like, hey, we'll do $15 million a year for the next couple of years and kind of align his timeline with a couple of the other guys on the roster. Um, but if he's not willing to do that, then I would just – let it play out. Um, even if he leaves, he's not necessarily an irreplaceable player uh, for Chicago. He's an important player for them, but at his age, uh, last year he had some struggles. I, I think we might be looking towards uh, the Bulls maybe moving in a different direction at that position because of the recent uh, conversation around Lonzo Ball. Does his injury situation? alter the future mindset of Chicago at all? Yeah, I'm going to say not yet. I, I think there's a chance down the line 
that happens. They're, they're going to compete this year, obviously, with with Vooch, we talked about, is there. You've got DeMar DeRozan uh, coming off an all-NBA year. You've got Zach Levine, might have been all-NBA had he stayed healthy. So I think they're going to push. They've got a bunch of other guards. But let's say this season goes a little sideways, and let's say the Bulls are down in the play-in tournament, and, or they don't even make the playoffs. Um, at the end of the year, then I think they start to really say, all right, we've got Zach Levine locked up long-term. Now what we've got to do is who fits alongside him. And you start to ask some of those difficult questions. And that's the challenge. Unfortunately with Lonzo ball is we don't know where he's going to be moving forward. This, you know, hopefully this most recent procedure cleans everything up, but this could turn into something where all of a sudden Lonzo is not the guy they thought, um, he was, and then that that becomes a little bit of an issue. Not again with the cap rising; it's not a complete cap clogging deal, but it's going to make things a little bit more difficult for them to work around. Cleveland Cavaliers: Will this be Kevin Love's last season, or could Cleveland potentially float out a team friendly, team friendly extension similar to what Memphis did with Stephen Adams? Uh, to since they already have sort of their whole, whole core locked in. Yeah, I think that is somewhat likely with with Kevin Love. I think he's showed last year, I mean, he almost won six man of the year. I think he's really accepted that role um, around their their young bigs, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley. Uh, and, and then, you know, with the guards now, with Mitchell joining Garland, I think Love knows, hey, I'm on a pretty good team. And this is a team that's only going to continue to get better. So I could see him signing, you know, that couple year extension and kind of locking in. Um, if it does, if, if, this does turn into uh, runs into free agency. What we could see happen is if Cleveland doesn't take meaningful steps forward, meaning actually make the playoffs and be at least semi-competitive in that first playoff run for this group, then we might see Love towards this point of his career looking around and saying, all right, where can I join up, play as a third big, as a sixth man uh, for a title contender? But as long as the Cavs are taking steps forward uh, this year and they're, they're kind of real ones, I, I think um, you know, we're going to see him resign. Dallas Mavericks, interesting situation, traded for Christian Wood. Is he going to buy into his six-man role, or is there you know, this demotion of coming off the bench, plus his expiring contract going to put him in a weird situation to start the season? Yeah, this one has the potential to get really awkward, uh, I think, for Dallas. I, I, it was weird at media day when he said coming off the bench was the first he's heard of it, when we all read it everywhere. Um, you know, maybe may good for Christian Wood. Maybe he went off the grid uh, right up to media day and didn't know what was going on. But I, my, my guess is that was more just, uh, you know, yeah, I don't really want to get into this because it's just going to lead to a bunch of questions I don't want to answer. I think this is the best team he's ever been on. That That's, I think, fairly easy to say. If they win and he's a big part of it, I don't know that he really cares if he comes off the bench or not. Um, he'll then get a you know pretty nice contract as a free agent, if things are not going the way Dallas hopes. And, and I'll just kind of say for some, one of the Western conference teams that was pretty good last year, one of them is not going to be something's going to happen, whether it's an injury or whatever. And then you've got teams like Denver and the Clippers that are really ready to push up as they, they get healthy this season. So if Dallas slides, I could see them say, all right, hey, you know what? Let's uh, kind of shop this guy at the trade deadline and see what it looks like because their whole goal is going to be to continue to churn that roster until they find the right players and right mix to put around Luka Doncic. Denver Nuggets, 
how long can they exist with this current max pay structure before they pull the cord similar to what Utah has done? I looked up their their metrics and they are by far the highest team with the most guaranteed dollars over the next you know future years. Uh, so what are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you've got, you know, Jokic on the, you know, kicking into Supermax territory. You get Jamal Murray on his uh, max deal. You've got Michael Porter Jr. on his uh, max contract. So, yeah, that you're you're hitting the point with, with the Nuggets where it is time to start asking some questions. And I think what we're going to see is I think the Contavious Caldwell-Pope contract was a little bit of a sign for what's to come for this team where they signed him to a two-year extension uh, that's worth about $30 million over the two years. So I think what we're going to see here for the Nuggets is the next two to three years is what it's all about. It's, you know, if we are in the mix to win the West and we're, you know, in the mix to go to the finals and win a title, um, if we're really in contention every year, they'll keep keep going because the rising cap and we're expecting at least somewhat of a spike likely or some form of balancer or something is coming. That'll start to balance out a little bit. We're going to see teams pretty regularly, I think, with two, three, maybe even four $30 million players in the future moving forward because that's just going to be where the cap is headed. So don't know that they're super worried about it. But again, much like I just said with the Mavs and Luka Doncic, the Nuggets are going to continue to kind of churn the roster pieces as best they can to put that best team around Nikola Jokic. I will say for this year, I think there's a good chance they're the best team in the West in the regular season. This team's deep. They're versatile. They got a lot of players. Um, then it's all about you know how far do you go in the playoffs? Completely agree with that last statement. They are extremely deep. When I was writing up all these questions, I was in shock at the depth of not only the roster, but the financial future. And that's why I brought up this question, because they're paying so much, especially with Jokic's uh, extension that he signed in the offseason. You know, it, it, is there going to be that breaking point? And time will tell for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 tough, too, because this is that they're pretty, pretty good into the tax it looks like very likely for at least the next three seasons um even with the cap going up and that's new territory for for denver as, as a franchise they're not uh one of these teams that's been a tax team over and over and over again so that that's going to also guide some of these decisions but there is some places where they can shed some salary rebalance things out a little bit and it, it's a smart front office group there with a bunch of good players so i think they're going to keep it rolling for a little while Detroit Pistons, why is Kemba Walker still on this roster <laughs> making $9.2 million? Yeah, I, 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 I'm, it, <laughs> it seems like you're one of the people in the Detroit beat writers mentions on Twitter because I think they get that question no less than 50, 60 times a day. Right. Um, and I might be low. Um, the reality is right now there's no rush for Detroit. You exhaust all trade possibilities before you wave them. Um, you know, maybe for the Pistons, it's, Hey, we'll take back your 12 million player if you give us a good second round pick and you know you can wave Kemba or whatever it is. Um, there was also reporting Kemba basically came out and said, Yeah, they want to do a buyout, but their numbers are unacceptable. And I think if you're Kemba Walker, there's no guarantee another contract's coming for him. Um, and if there is, it's not going to be anything more than the minimum at this point where he's at in his career. So I think he's basically saying, uh, no, I'm not until I get something else locked in. I'm not giving you any money back. My guess is, you know, we're only a few days out, about you know, five days or so from teams having to do their their cutdowns. 
what will happen is if they can't find a trade, that's probably unlikely uh, this deep into the offseason. He'll get waived and probably get waived at his full number, but they'll negotiate set off in there um, where what that is is when he signs with another team, Detroit receives uh, back some money. Um, doesn't change anything cap-wise or anything like that for the course of the season because it's an after-the-season accounting, but it is a little way for them to get out of some. Golden State Warriors, is there or will there be a financial breaking point at some near future, depending on if they extend Wiggins, extend Poole, whatever the situation with Draymond Green is going to be with, with that whole situation? So my question is, is there a financial breaking point where ownership says enough is enough, or do they just pay in more into the tax knowing that they're on uh, the precipice of a uh, dynasty? Yeah. And so yeah, I thought ownership's uh, comments were, were interesting uh, recently. I mean, by recently, I mean, within probably the last uh, three, four months where it was, yeah, we probably are getting to the upper bounds of what we're willing to pay in tax and penalties. I mean, this is approaching a half a billion dollars in salary and tax penalties for this team. Um, the Draymond situation, I think, probably removed one extension question. There's, I, I can see no way they extend him now. I think it's going to be, you need to come back, be on your absolute best behavior. Um, they've already said he'll be back, he'll play opening night. Um, but there can be no more issues the rest of the year. We know he's going to get technicals and those kind of things, but there can't be any big blow-ups where we're talking uh, major fines or suspensions coming. Um, then beyond that, he's going to play well, and then we'll talk in free agency. Um, well, we'll see where it goes. And that maybe is one where, you know what, we've got Jonathan Kaminga. He's ready to step in. We think we can you know, sign a minimum guy or a, a taxpayer mid-level guy to fill in at the four as well. And, we're just going to go and go go in a different way and let him kind of move on. We'll see. Now, the big questions are Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins. Uh, Jordan Poole, extension eligible right now, as is Wiggins. Um, Wiggins, I think, will let it carry to free agency. Um, and we'll see. And then Jordan Poole, um, the Tyler Hero uh, contract really kind of set the market. They're very similar-ish players in what they want. Hero got just less than the max in a four-year deal. I think that's where the Warriors would ideally like to be with Jordan Poole. Here's a challenge, though, and just this will be kind of overall for as, as we get into anybody else uh, throughout our conversation here. <clears throat> the Warriors have to be careful because this summer, there's very likely to be nine, maybe 10 teams with, with a good amount of cap space, meaning 30-plus million, and we're going to run out of good players to spend it on very quickly, and that could lead to a very... Um, weird offer sheet situation with Jordan Poole where some team says, you know what, we'll go full max on an offer sheet because we feel like that's good. And it could lead to some team saying to Andrew Wiggins, hey, we're willing to pay way more than what maybe people think. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah, very interesting situation. However, that flushes out. Uh, Houston Rockets, that is a very young team. They've worked through the draft lottery the I think the oldest player on that roster is Eric Gordon, if I saw that correctly. What does the Houston Rockets do with Eric Gordon? Is he going to still be on this roster at the trade deadline? He has 19.6 million this year, but then next year is non-guaranteed. 
Yeah, it feels like it's finally the year that yeah. uh, Eric Gordon gets traded, right? I mean, it feels like Eric Gordon's in trade rumors from, you know, July through February every single season. And right. then it just never happens. Um, I think the combination of he's a good player who could really help a lot of good contenders. His deal's pretty movable, you know, being 19.6 million, anything under 20 million is, you know, fairly easily moved. And the fact that he's on what I like to call a pseudo non-guaranteed deal, where he's got that non-guaranteed money or pseudo expiring contract, um, I should have said, is because it's fully non-guaranteed, a team can get out of it free and clear after the year, unless uh, he makes all-star, they win the title, which then, you know, at that point you say, hey, all right, well, then we're happy to pay you. You know, well, your your money is for the next season. So, yeah, it feels like this is the year, and I think the Rockets are really leaning in. They've drafted seven players in the first round, the last two drafts, and you got to give those kids the minutes to find out what you got. You can't you can't have the veteran guys like Gordon, who by the time the Rockets are ready to win, he's not going to be a part of things, eating up those minutes. He'll play enough to prove to everybody, yeah, he's still pretty good. He can still do his stuff and all those things, and then he's probably going to you know go in mothballs until they can move up. Indiana Pacers, this is a team that doesn't really like to rip it off. They'd like to operate middle to upper if they can get to the upper. So with that known, who gets moved first, Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, or is it a must-go-together package for them? Yeah, I think if they can get the Lakers to move off to unprotected first in 27 and 29, then – They'll both go to the Lakers. I but I think the Lakers are hanging in there and saying, nah, we don't want to do two unprotected firsts and 27 and 29. We've got to, you know, keep keep ourselves protected a little bit for what by then ought to be the post-LeBron years. I who knows at this point what that looks like. I I I think they probably will be, but I don't know if LeBron's gonna pull a Tom Brady and play till he's 50 or not. So we'll see. Um, with that. If it's not then I think Turner is probably more likely to go in season contracts, slightly more movable as an expiring deal right now. And I think we may see some teams uh, jump at saying, all right, you know, he's pretty plug and play with his shooting ability, his rim protection. We can kind of throw him in there in all sorts of different lineups and feel pretty good about that. Um, so I think he's slightly more likely to move than buddy. Here. LA Clippers fascinating team getting Kawhi Leonard back. John Wall was signed this offseason after finally getting out of his Houston contract. Will John Wall end up being the best value signing of 2022-23 season? It's certainly possible. Even if he doesn't reach, you know, that kind of lofty status of giving him that that uh, you know, claim, he's still going to be one of the best players, uh, best signings of the summer, I think. I, I think he can still play, I have, you know, seeing uh, what he can do. He looks good. He looks healthy. Um, he doesn't have to be, you know, all-star John Wall on this team. He just needs to be pretty good. Um, you know, and this is just the Clippers adding another guy, and that's the deepest roster in the league. It's not even close. They 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 can play, you know, full backup lineups and then some and still be competitive. Because of that, I think you're going to see Ty Lue be very aggressive with resting players and giving them off days and those kind of things. But, yeah, I, I think Wall has a chance to be uh, absolutely one of the best signings this summer. And, and we'll see. I don't think he's going to start. I think they're going to still roll 
with Reggie Jackson for now. Um, but Wall's going to play major minutes and really, I think, juice that second unit and keep them going. And on those nights, if Leonard or George or both are out, then you know you could might see him uh, take on that. All right, I'm going to take 20 shots tonight, and here we go. Yeah, that's a team on paper that looks great, but it could go south real quick and could potentially be an all-injury team, depending on Kawhi's health, Paul George's health, John Wall's health, et cetera. Yep. Yeah, they've got to stay healthy. If they if they don't stay healthy, it's just going to be kind of messy. But I I I think we're going to, you know, you never know what happens with injuries, obviously. But I, I, I think anytime it's, okay, you're feeling something, sit for two or three days because they've got the depth to cover. They're not going to be pushing guys to play through anything at all this entire season. Los Angeles Lakers, they only have four players under contract for the 23-24 season. LeBron, AD, Damian Jones, and Max Christie. So what kind of conversations do you think are happening in the Laker front office from a financial and roster construction standpoint, knowing they only have those four locked up for next year? Yeah, so this gives I know you you know this, Scott, but for everybody else, this gives you a sense of what a nerd I am about this stuff. There was a point a couple years ago before AD signed his extension with the Lakers where I was like, 2023, they might have no players on the roster. And I was super excited. I've always wanted to see a team come in with nobody signed and see what it looks like. Um, unfortunately, the Lakers, as they have many times in my life, crushed my dreams. Um, so, you know, as we get into this, I, I think you're going to see the Lakers, they're really trying to thread the needle here. Um, I think they kind of like what they have, but if they can get players that'll push them into title contention this season, they'll sacrifice the 2023 cap space to do it. But I think they're being fairly conservative and pretty smart about not doing that unless they're really certain those are the guys for them. Because I think they're very com okay, comfortable running with what they have going into next summer and saying, all right, this is our probably last best shot at adding a star around LeBron and add a around AD. Um, let's see who we can go get. Kyrie Irving, maybe somebody else. We'll see what it looks like. But if they could get those guys right now, like if you could get Miles Turner and Buddy Heald in a reasonable contract or a reasonable trade, and then you know maybe probably extend Miles Turner or something like that, I think they would sacrifice that cap space to do it. Memphis Grizzlies, this is a, a rising team. They're young. They seem to love playing together. Uh, they extended job. They extended Stephen Adams. They have two players that are extension eligible and Brandon Clark with a rookie extension, Dylan Brooks with a veteran extension eligible. Are, should we expect to see both of them extended? And if not both, which one should be extended before the other? Yeah, I think unless you feel great that uh, Jake LaRavia and David Roddy, who they drafted in the first round this year, are really fully ready to take rotation spots and step in and play major minutes. Uh, Zaire Williams, who was their first round pick a year ago, unless you feel like he's really ready to play you know, 20, 30 minutes a night, um, you, I would extend Dylan Brooks. Um, he's such a key player for, for them on that uh, – roster there in Memphis. He's really an important guy as far as, you know, he's their rational confidence guy. He's the kind of guy who every night he'll look across the floor at, 
you know, LeBron and Kawhi and be like, I'm just as good as them. Let's go. And that's really important, you know, especially with a, you know, young and rising team that you kind of have that guy there and he plays a big role as their big wing. Um, so I think he's important on the Brandon Clark side. I might let this one play out to restricted free agency with the full understanding of it might cost me more this summer to resign Brandon Clark to, to a contract if he plays really well, but I'm looking at it from the standpoint of you just extended Steven Adams. You got Jaron Jackson Jr. Whose new contract extensions kicking in. So when they're healthy, Clark is at best the third big on, on that team. And I'm just going to have a limit in what I'm going to pay unless I see him as a third big, who's really going to play, you know, 30 minutes a night or you know more than that because I'm really only going to run a three big rotation but I know they like Santi Aldama um who was a first round pick a year ago um they they're they're excited about him they still have Xavier Tillman who they like and there's some thought that maybe in smaller lineups Zaire Williams may be able to at some point step up and play play at the four some so I think you're going to see them probably let Clark play out but I would try to get an extension done with Dylan Brooks to go back to my point earlier of more cap space than players Brooks is a prime guy you could lose uh this summer because you don't get them locked up and some team may come in and pay more than what the Grizzlies are comfortable giving him. Miami heat. They extended Tyler hero four for $120 million. Uh, does that mean Duncan Robinson is long for the Miami heat or because of his lack of production last year, he's just untouchable. Yeah. I think people got a, they they misread the Duncan Robinson situation a little bit because I know there were a lot of people when the playoffs rolled around and like, why is Duncan Robinson not playing? And I think they missed. He'd been out of the rotation for a while in mm-hmm. Miami. Obviously, uh, Max Struess had taken his starting job and had really come into the starting spot. Um, and I'm going to talk more about him in just a second. But yeah, and then Tyler Hero is, is their sixth man. So Robinson's really been passed by two guys who play the same positions he plays. Um, they're they're really all um, kind of more pure two guards. Uh, Robinson and Struess have the size to play up a little bit at, at the three, but uh, Robinson's you know behind those guys. So I think he's um, the most likely, well, let me rephrase. He is the most likely player to be traded on the Heat roster. He may be the most likely player to be traded in the entire league because the Heat have some roster holes to fill. They don't have anything at the four right now. They don't have anybody who's a power forward on this team. They're going to get by because Eric Spolster will have some goofy gimmick defenses that work incredibly well in those kind of things. But they've got a, they, they've got roster holes to fill, and Robinson and his contract are the best piece to go do that. Um, and then I said I was going to come back to, Tyler, to, to Max Struess. Tyler Hero is not locked in unless Miami thinks Max Struess's contract and he's a free agent this summer. If they don't extend him, unless they think that contract's going to get completely out of hand, there's just really no home for Duncan Robinson and the Heat long term. If they're going to keep Hero and Struess, it's best to get Robinson moved on in a trade to fill another hole for a team that's really built to win and win right right now. Milwaukee Bucks. Do they need to make a significant move either during the season or at the trade deadline to upgrade and mitigate another Chris Middleton situation depth going into the postseason? Yeah, it's a really fair question. I I tend to think they don't. I I think they're probably okay with with what they have. Um, I would have liked to seen them go a little younger with, with free agents rather than just 
running it back with Wesley Matthews. And then yeah, the Joe Ingles signing was a, was a little weird. I think he'll probably fit in okay there. But I think they're comfortable with Grayson Allen starting when, when Middleton is out. Um, I think they're very comfortable with giving Pat Connaughton more minutes. And then them re-signing Jordan Nawara, which happened late uh, in the summer. Um, I think that's actually kind of a sign of, they feel good about giving him more minutes and they waited out until um, there was nothing left for him in restricted free agency and basically said, all right, here's what we got. I think I, I or I think, and I'm hoping he plays a little bit more this year. I think Milwaukee is full on now into the get to the playoffs, healthy mode of their kind of team building um, arc here because they know what they can be. They're a title contender. So it almost doesn't matter as long as they, Ideally, you still want to finish top four in the East and have home court advantage, but they're not afraid of going on the road and trying to win games in Boston or Philadelphia or Miami or one of those other cities. They're not worried about that. So I think it's it's all about, hey, we just got to get through the regular season, win enough that we get ourselves a good seed. And as long as we're healthy come playoffs, we're, we're going to be good. And you just can't plan for, all right, well, we got to make sure in case a guy gets hurt you know, in the playoffs that we've got depth. He's just not planning for injuries to happen now. Minnesota Timberwolves. They've made moves. Obviously, we talked about with Rudy Gobert going there. Should Minnesota extend or trade D'Angelo Russell? Yeah, I don't think you're going to find a trade that's going to be anything great. So I would probably extend him. I don't think he touches where he's at now. You know, I don't think there's going to be any chance he gets $30 million. Um, plus in his next contract. So that already kind of alleviates a little bit of the worries with with if, with extending him. You do still have another year of Anthony Edwards on his rookie scale deal after this one, um, and that's kind of important. And I think it's very important to note, he is a very um, important player for them because of how close he is with Carl Anthony Towns. That really matters. Um, and when you're the Wolves and you're coming off your best season in years and People are fired up. They're feeling pretty good. You made the big investment in uh, Rudy Gobert. You don't want to start messing around. Is D'Angelo Russell a perfect player? No, absolutely not. But he's perfectly fine for what they need. I think his defensive issues are mitigated quite a bit with having Gobert there to clean up for him. I think we might see him have a pretty good year. So I'd try to extend him. And if it's in the low to mid-20s and he just comes down just a little bit off the number he had, you know that's probably important because we don't want to have happen is all of a sudden, D'Angelo Russell has one of those all-star type seasons again. And now all of a sudden, it's like, all right, well, now we can't extend him. Now, if we're going to keep him, we have to re-sign him for 30-plus million. And that starts to get a little messy because you've got Towns, you've got Gobert, and Edwards is going to need paid uh, here sooner rather than later. New Orleans Pelicans, they extended McCollum, they extended Williamson, they extended Larry Nance Jr. They seem to be all in. They have Devontae Graham at the point guard. Looks like they could probably have an upgrade at that position. Yeah, it, it, I think they, the way they ran it last year, and I think what they'll do this year is C.J. McCollum will be the point guard. No one can see me, but I'm doing quotation marks. Um, He's going to be the nominal point guard. Zion and Brandon Ingram are going to have the ball a lot and do a lot of playmaking, which will allow McCollum to settle into that off ball. Uh, player role, which he obviously excelled at for years in Portland. Um, so I think that turns Devontae Graham into a 
decent trade piece. You would have liked to have seen him have a year like what he had in Charlotte, uh, where he's really kind of that guy. But I think their plan for as long as he's on the team is, is uh, you're going to come in, you're going to be kind of our scoring guard off the bench, and you're going to do do all the thing, you know, come in, hit a bunch of shots, play that Lou Williams role. And, and sometimes we scoff at those roles, but Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford, those guys have had, you know, 15, 20-year careers by playing that exact role almost the entire run. So I think that's what Devontae Graham can do. I think he can be that kind of guy as an energizer, shooter off the bench, designated scorer type. And then it, but if they move him in his 11.5 million salary, that's a nice piece of salary matching. And maybe some team needs bench scoring. Maybe some team even needs a guard because the other thing is Jose Alvarado is showing he can handle those backup point guard minutes. Challenge is you can't really play Alvarado and Graham together. You're just way too small, even against backup units. So something kind of has to give there. And my guess is Devontae Graham becomes a tradable player for the Pelicans here, uh, probably within the next year or so. New York Knicks. Jalen Brunson was their off-season move of the year. However, if they underperformed for a second year in a row, is that a sign that they need to move off from Julius Randle? Yeah, I I think so. And, and I, I think um, I'm very high on Obi Toppin. He's, he needs a real role this year. And we know as long as Tibbs is the coach, the backup guys, they're only going to play so much. Uh, Randall's going to play his 35 to 38 minutes a night. And that just doesn't leave enough room for top. And they won't play the two of them together. I, I think they feel like they can't defend well enough. If the two of them playing together, they also have Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein there. So I, I think your challenge is you need either Randall to be the all-star all NBA level guy. He was a couple years ago, or you really need to look at, all right, we're going to kind of do a reset on the fly here. We're not going to rebuild because they're not in that position, but we're going to reset with Jalen Brunson, RJ Barrett as being our main guys moving forward. We'll slide topping into that role. And then if Randall can get us a, you know, a, a wing, you know, can really step in and do some stuff so much the better. And, and we'll go from there. So, yeah, I think you have to consider that because last year, really it started towards the end of the prior regular season. Then in the playoffs, Randall was a mess and that continued really into the bulk of last season. Oklahoma City Thunder, Shade Gilders Alexander's rookie scale extension kicks in this season. So how long before he demands a trade out <laughs> of Oklahoma City? Yeah, I, well, I don't know if he'll demand a trade, but I think they probably have this year of, all right, we're still going to be bad. I think the Chet Holmgren injury really kind of set them back instead of this being a Maybe we can start to take steps forward. I think it's going to be all right. We're we're going to be you know down for a little while longer. Gilgis Alexander's hurt already. Um, they're they're not going to rush bringing him back by any means. So I, I think this year is signaling all right. We're still going to be down near the bottom, but next year there has to be real progress shown. Otherwise, I think what happens is Shea Gilgis Alexander starts to look at it and say. All right, now I'm in my late 20s. You know, where are we going here? I would like to win, you know, eventually at some point. And if they aren't showing signs of real progress next season, I think then you start to look at, all right, where are we going with this player? And I think the player starts to look at where are we going as a franchise. Orlando Magic, they have a number of lottery picks in the last few years. 
how far away are the magic from actually physically pushing all the chips in for trades or free agency in the future here? Yeah, I think they're closer than most people would think. Um, Franz Wagner played great as a rookie, and then he looks like he's leveled up over the summer. He played great in Eurobasket. Looks really good. Paulo Bancaro is the real deal. This kid was should have been. He was number one on my draft board. That's not saying much. I'm not a draft expert, but I loved him. I thought he fits in perfect. And then they've got a bunch of other guys that are just pretty good players. So Wendell Carter Jr., um, really pretty solid. Um, that front court of Carter, Bancaro, and Wagner. You're probably set for a while there with, with those three guys in Orlando, and I think you feel really good about that. It's just, can the guards get healthy? One, Jalen Suggs is hurt uh, already. Uh, Markel Fultz is hurt again. Um, can they get healthy, and then can they all take steps forward? Cole Anthony's a fun player. Um, there's a ton of cap flexibility uh, coming for them in the in the next couple of seasons. Um, so I think it's if they take real steps forward this year, um, and they are looking at it and saying, all right, with that front court of Bancaro, Wagner, and Carter, we feel really good about what we have. Then it's, all right, how do we fill out our wing, wing group? How do we fill out our backcourt group? They made, whether that's through free agency or through other trades, I think the Magic are closer than it seems because I think you're going to see these kids take big steps forward this season. Philadelphia 76ers, does Tobias Harris have any legitimate trade value right now? And is Thibel more likely to move than Harris? Yeah, Thibel is infinitely more likely to be traded than Harris simply because of the contract. Um, you know, Harris is a 30 plus million dollar player. Uh, Thibel is not that, <laughs> to, to put, put it really simply. Um, you know, Th Thibel in the last year of his rookie scale deals about 4.4 million, and Harris is up at 37.6 plus 39.3 next season. So that makes Thibault just far more likely to be moved. I think just strictly then taking contract stuff out of it, which obviously you can never really do. But if we just look at the basketball, um, Thibault is now in a mix where there are other guys kind of coming for a spot. You've got Maxie and Harden are both established in the backcourt. Daniel House Jr. is there. DeAnthony Melton is there. Um, they're going to have to play – Harris probably more at the three with P.J. Tucker being there. So you're going to start to see Matisse Thibel's minutes get squeezed a little bit. There's still a place for him because when you can defend the way he can, you're going to find your way into minutes. But it's no longer a lock that this guy's going to be around. And for those reasons, I think you're going to see him move. And then I'll throw a little bonus in there. I think Tobias Harris, now that he's going to be the number three option, maybe even the number four if Tyrese Maxey um, is as real as he looks like he is, I think you're going to see Tobias Harris uh, uh, really play a lot better, play more efficient. And I think people are going to start to say, oh, how about Tobias Harris? Because that's what he did on other teams where he wasn't forced to carry so much of the load. Phoenix Suns, does Jay Crowder's trade demand signal that there's something internally wrong with that team? And how might that impact Cam Johnson's rookie extension? Yeah, I think we know there's things wrong in Phoenix and right. I think it starts all the way at the top. And that that situation's now uh, resolving as you know, Robert Sarver is going to be moving out. And I think the important part of that, though, is when you look down at the team itself, I don't know that there's necessarily something wrong because of the Crowder situation. It's just another thing to throw on the pile. The weirdness with DeAndre Ayton. You've had a couple of other guys complain at times about things there. but. Crowder's just, he's not very happy when he's 
not clearly a big part of the team's plans, whether it be that current season or moving forward. And by all accounts, he went to the Suns and said, hey, I'd like an extension. And the Suns are like, I don't think so. And that turned into, well, you're not going to extend me, go. That sounds an awful lot like when he was in Boston and the Celtics were kind of openly that year pursuing Gordon Hayward. And I I don't know if you remember, but Crowder got very upset that Celtics fans cheered Gordon Hayward uh, when the Jazz came in and played in Boston because they were like, hey, we love you. Sign here next summer. Um, So I think those kind of things upset Crowder. As for Cam Johnson, the Suns can't get cheap and bungle this. They've got to get him signed. Um, They should be doing what they can to get him signed to an extension right now. You've got Aiton locked up. You've got Booker locked up. You've got Bridges locked up. You've got Chris Paul for another couple of years. Don't blow this by moving um, and getting cheap on Cam Johnson and by saying, ah, you know, we've got these other guys because they don't have anything else in place to replace him if he goes. He's proven he can really play, and he's a great fit in that front court grouping with Aiton and Bridges because he's pretty versatile with Bridges and the things he can do, and they really need a shooting there to open up the floor for those guys. So don't get cheap. you got to get that done and get him signed. Portland Trailblazers. Why are they taking so long to extend Jeremy Grant? And is he a potential flip trade candidate again? Yeah, I don't I don't think they're gonna flip him. Um, I think why they're they're waiting is to rush as an expiring player, they can extend him all the way through the end of the league year on June 30th. Um, he's not even one of these guys that has like an an, uh, an option and that gets kind of messy because you decline and then you extend and all those sorts of things. He's just a straight expiring contract. So I think what Portland is probably saying is, hey, let's get into some games that count. Let's see what it looks like with him alongside some of these other guys, and then we'll go. There's also the possibility we heard you know, a while back that Jeremy Grant wanted like 120 million over four seasons. So I don't know that Portland's really, really jumping at the opportunity to throw 30 million a year at him after they extended Damian Lillard, they signed Anthony Simons, they signed Yusuf Nurkic. I don't know that the Blazers want to go, go there necessarily without seeing how it looks in games that count. So right now it's probably just, Hey, let's see what it looks like. And then we'll, we'll readdress as, as we get into the year. Sacramento Kings. What is their long-term plan for De'Aaron Fox? And are you surprised he's still a king at this point? It was funny. I was going to say I'm a little surprised, but nothing really surprises me with the Kings anymore. It's kind of, you know, you could almost write any story and I'd be like, all right, that makes sense, I guess. Um, They've just done so much weird stuff over the years. But if I really think about it, I don't think so. I think he's still their franchise guy. You know, maybe DeMontis Sabonis passes him. Maybe Keegan Murray at some point passes him and he becomes a franchise guy, but Fox is still their engine. He's the guy who really makes him makes that team go. And I think they're looking at it and saying, you know, with him and Sabonis and Murray, and we've added uh, some shooting and, and playmaking and Kevin Herter and uh, Malik Monk. Uh, we've still got Harrison Barnes. I think the Kings are, they finally built a roster that makes a lot of sense. And it's a roster that makes sense around Fox. So I think there's a chance that this team is pretty good. Now, they're not going to stop anybody. Their defense is going to be horrendous. But they're going to be entertaining. They're going to get up and down the floor. They're going to play fast. So I think all that stuff fits with Fox. But if it doesn't work out here in the next year or so, I don't know. But as far as it being surprising, it's the Kings. So I'm not really sure how to answer that. (laughs) San Antonio Spurs, while they have a lot of nice young players that they've gotten through the draft, they extended Kelton Johnson, they moved off of DeJounte Murray, as we mentioned earlier. Where is this team headed? 
Oh, they are bottoming it out big time. <laughs> um, if this was a, uh, if there were no flattened lottery odds, I think the Spurs would maybe potentially uh, break the record for fewest wins in an NBA season. I, I think, I think they are being very realistic and saying, "Hey, we haven't done this full on lean into the tank thing very often in franchise history, but the two times we did do it, we came away with David Robinson and Tim Duncan, and that's how you build a team that makes the playoffs for two straight decades." So I, I think. Johnson's on such a team-friendly extension that he's part of things going forward. That that contract's going to be great. It's going to be even better as the cap goes up. Um, but maybe more than any other team in the league, they need Victor Wembanyama or Scoot Henderson. If there's no star power on that team, there's players I like. I love Keldon Johnson. He's one of my favorite players in the league. I think uh, Devin Vassell and Josh Primo have the chance to be pretty good. I really like Jeremy Sohan, the rookie that they drafted. But I like those guys. None of those guys are stars. Um, and that's where, where the Spurs, they, they need that star power, I think, more than anybody else in the league. And, you know, we'll, we'll see. They're going to do their best to put themselves in position to get it this season. Toronto Raptors, are Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet a part of this team's next big run, or is Scotty Barnes the future of that team? Uh, a little bit of both. Barnes is definitely the future, but I think Siakam and Vliet are part of things for now. Um, Masai Ujiri's a mover. He he doesn't sit still. He's going to keep keep doing things. He's always kind of looking. And, and if some superstar that we don't know anything about right now becomes available, he'll be in on it. We we know because he's not afraid to make the home run swing. Um, you know, he he swung for the fences on the Kawhi Leonard trade when a lot of people are like, why is that going to stay there? But you know what? They raised a banner. That's all that matters. You want a title. So I think he'll be in on that. And if Siakam and Van Vliet are the guys to go, then they'll go. That said, I think somehow Pascal Siakam's become super underrated. Um, he can really play. He's very, very good uh, defensively. Um, and I, I really like Fred Van Vliet. He's the only guy who uh, oddly doesn't fit in um, this you know, similarly sized uh, roster that they've built. Um, but he's so tough and he's such a you know strong defender that he does fit, even though he's you know five, six inches shorter than most of the, the his main teammates. So but it, it's just it, it's it's hard for me to say, you know, anybody other than you know the guys on the rookie deals are you know part of you know things you know moving forward beyond a year or two in Toronto because because Masai is just so aggressive and he'll he'll make moves when nobody else is expecting it. Utah Jazz, why have they not ripped off the Band-Aid completely and traded Mike Conley and or Jordan Clarkson at this point? Yeah, I think they'd like to. I think they're just fine, and those guys are a little hard to trade. And, and I think Bogdanovich, we saw, he probably carried the most value uh, of their veteran guys that were left over after uh, trading Gobert and Mitchell. And they got back Kelly Olynyk and Saban Lee in that deal. They didn't even get any picks or anything. It was basically... You know, all right, let's uh, you know, move some money around kind of in a trade. And that's even acknowledging Danny Ainge loves Kelly Olinick like he's one of his own children. Um, but it is with with Conley, he's a point guard. Nobody really needs point guards right now. All the contenders are pretty well set at that position. He's not somebody who can play the two. I mean, he can play off the ball, but he's really still a traditional one. Uh, contract's a little bit big for what he is at this point. So that's a little bit of a challenge. Clarkson's a bench scorer. He's a guy who's going to come off the bench, going to do a whole bunch of things as far as scoring the ball and uh, you know doing all that stuff. But again, contenders, I think you look at and saying, we're pretty well set in that role. 
you know, what, you know, is he going to even be able to play in the playoffs? What is that? So I think that's why they're both still in Utah for now. I think Ainge's because he's Danny Ainge pushing a hard uh, bargain. He's asking a big price for these guys to some extent. I do expect they'll eventually get moved because some contender is going to have an injury. They're going to need a point guard. Some contender is going to be like, you know what we need? We need 10, 12 points a night off the bench. Jordan Clarkson fits that. And that's where we may see uh, the Jazz start to move guys like that, maybe even Rudy Gay, uh, Malik Beasley. Though Those guys are still left on that roster. Last but not least, the Washington Wizards. They're projected to be the 12th best team in the East. And as you've already alluded to with Beal, he locked up uh, in the offseason here. So is this team going to get aggressive as the season progresses and we get closer to the trade deadline? Or are they just going to accept who they are for right now and wait until next offseason to make some more moves? I think they're going to accept um, who they are, but I think they're going to happily accept it. I think they think they're a playoff team. I don't know that I agree with that, but I think they they really think that they they can be a, a playoff team. And if everything goes well and they're healthy, they're, they're in the mix to be in the playing tournament. And then we'll see what happens in you know that tournament environment. Kind of anything goes. But Bradley Beal, Christoph Porzingis, Kyle Kuzma, um, they they got their point guard Monte Morris. Will Barton's a pretty good player. You guys still got some interesting young guys in Denny Avdia, Rui Hachimura can, can kind of play too. DeLon Wright comes in and fills that backup point guard spot behind Morris uh, pretty, pretty well, and he can play alongside Morris at times. The roster is in better shape than it's been in in the last uh, few years as far as overall talent goes. Challenge is injuries are always a problem. Beal uh, seems to be back to, he, you know, remember, he spent the first few years of his career always getting hurt. Then he was healthy for a number of years. Now it seems like we're back to him getting dinged up. Christoph Porzingis is, uh, you know, he's got an ankle injury. They're saying it's not serious, but it's just kind of like, I don't know with this guy. Um, the kids, Hachimura and Avdi, I like them, but they haven't shown enough that you can really feel super confident about just saying, you know, here we go. Um, so we'll see, you know, where it goes for them. But I, I think they're really kind of looking at it and, and thinking, you know, hey, we're we're a playoff team right now. Now we'll see what happens after you know the, this season goes because uh, Porzingis can be a free agent. Kuzma is definitely going to opt out. He's at thirteen million dollars a year, which is only slightly above mid-level money. Um, he's underpaid for what he is as a player, and that's going to be where it gets kind of interesting. So it's kind of a big year in Washington to prove. All right, hey, we we're more than just the team that's in the uh, let's say nine to twelve range in the conference. We can really, you know, win more and get get there. Challenge is that's coming just as the Western Conference has gotten super deep and is actually pretty good. All right, I got two more for you, and we'll get you out of here. Bonus question: I was shocked that it took until San Antonio for to bring Victor up, but which <laughs> teams are going to end up at the bottom for tanking for Victor? Yeah, see, I'm calling it vomiting for Victor. Just, <laughs> I like the alliteration. Um, but yeah, I, so the Spurs, the, these are the teams right now that I think off the jump are already kind of there. The Spurs, the Thunder, the Pacers. Um, I think the Magic and the Rockets are going to be what I like to call, they're just going to be naturally bad teams. They're, they're just not ready to ready to win at a high rate yet. Um, so they're going to be kind of more naturally bad. I think the Jazz want to be. the Jazz have to be careful. There's enough talent on that team that they might win some games in October, November that they may come back to regret 
down the line, but I think eventually they'll be there. I already mentioned the Hornets. I, I think the Hornets are probably, uh, you know, signaling with this whole, yeah, we're going to hold LaMelo out until he's really fully healthy and see where it goes. I think they're going to drop into that race. I think the Pistons eventually will. I think the Pistons are going to try to be competitive, but there'll be some time in whether it's January or February leading up to the trade deadline where they probably take a hard look and say, all right, we're, we're not going to be in the mix uh, to make the playoffs. So we're, we're going to drop out. And then there's going to be some team. I don't know who it is, but one of the teams in either the East or the West, maybe it'll be a couple where the wheels just come off. They have injuries. Things don't fit the way they thought. Everything kind of falls apart and they're just going to say, forget it. Let's just, Yo, well, let's tear it down. We'll make trades. We'll bench guys. We'll do whatever. But it's going to be an epic, yo, uh, race. Now, it's not going to be, you're not going to see, I think, egregious stuff. Like I said, I think um, the Spurs, you know, if there were flattened lottery odds, they might win the fewest games um, in NBA history if there weren't the flattened lottery odds. I I think we may see a handful of teams um, try to chase them in that if there weren't the flattened lottery odds. But you're going to see a lot of teams, especially when we get into February, March, that are looking at it and saying, all right, I got to get into that top three. I got to give myself a 14% chance. Here's the thing. I generally have not been a massive proponent of, you know, a whole bunch of teams should tank and all these kind of things. Um, but I get it. I get it's part of it. This year, if you don't think you can be what you want to be as a team, as far as being a good team, bench guys, trade guys, do what you got to do because this kid is 100% worth it. I'm Victor Wembanyama, and if you don't get him, Scoot Henderson is a pretty great consolation prize uh, behind him. So yeah, every everybody should be uh, you know pushing to the bottom if they don't think they can be good. Now the last thing I'll say on this is because we're going to get a bunch of people going to be like, oh, tanking's awful and it ruins the league and blah blah blah. On the flip side, there are maybe eight, ten, maybe even eleven teams you could look at and say they might win the title this year, and that's more than we've had in a very long time. It's just the league right now is very divided into the really good teams and then a bunch of teams that are really not so good. And that's not the end of the world because where you struggle is when we have a whole bunch of teams that aren't trying to win and you get a bunch of teams that are just kind of sort of okay. And then you have like three or four contenders. Um, that's not great. But when you've got 10, 11, 12 teams that are really good, and then maybe you've got you know eight, nine, 10 teams that aren't so good, that's not the end of the world. Yeah, and it's a fascinating situation now that the play-in tournament is here because you have those middling teams that see the light at the end of the tunnel that they may be able to finally make a playoff berth, or do they say, uh, we're just going to rip the Band-Aid off and go down because now we we legitimately have two top prospects uh, in Scoot and Victor that you know, we haven't had two going into a season like this in a long time where the hype is real high already. And you know it's high when Adam Silver comes out and mentions the fact about tanking and all of that. So <laughs> yeah. it's it's a fascinating situation between the really great teams, those middling teams that are going to have to decide, do we want to be part of that play-in or not? And then the ones that are going to just rip it off and say, we're 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 going for bare bottom. And Scott, because there's those two incredible prospects, my prediction is this is probably the year the Sacramento Kings break their playoff drought and miss out on the lottery and, and don't don't end up there. And it'll probably be the team that's 13th or 14th lottery odds where it feels like Sacramento sat for years that probably jumps up and actually gets one of the two guys. That would just be the most Kings thing to happen, uh, you know, ever. 
All right, we'll get you out on this. Who do you have coming out of the East and who do you have coming out of the West? Yeah, call me a homer if you want, but I do think the Celtics are going to get back uh, to the NBA Finals. I think um, they, they've just they added what they needed in Malcolm Brogdon. And they still have the ability to go make another deal or, or two if they need to. I think they've got every all the ingredients are there. I think Tatum and Brown are ready uh, to win at that level now. Um, in the West, I'm going to pick the LA Clippers. I, I feel pretty confident um, that, that that depth is going to get them through. And I think it's all been building towards them having this big year. And I think in the Clippers case, it's it's probably going to be short-lived. It's probably going to be you know, one or two-year window with this grouping of players um, that they can play at that level. But I think they are going to break through. And then, again, call me a homer if you want, but I think the Celtics, with the addition of Malcolm Brogdon, I think up until they met the Warriors, they'd been playing like the best team in the league. No, they had some some struggles against both Milwaukee and Miami, but that's all part of the process of moving forward. Um, how confident and am I in picking Boston over the Clippers in the finals? Not very, because like I said, you could tell me Milwaukee's there, you could tell me Philly's there, maybe even everything goes right and Brooklyn makes it. And in the West, Warriors, Suns, Nuggets. Um, I can even see worlds where Memphis or maybe even Minnesota break through. I think this is going to be one of the most fun seasons we're going to have in a very long time because I think there's just so many good teams uh, that are really gearing up to go for it. He's at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. Give him a follow. Great content. Uh, Keith, thanks for your time and enjoy the beginning of the season next week. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Great stuff from Keith. Always good to have him. We will keep him in the rotation for this upcoming NBA season as financial news happens, as team construction trades, things like that come down. He's our go-to guy for all of those major moves. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennady. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trade Podcast. We'll be right back.